It's uh, Monday, April 12th, 2021. This is David. This is my road trip dispatch. Day three from today from El Paso, Texas. Waking up this morning in El Paso. Uh, started Monday, I'm sorry, <laughs> started Saturday morning in Tampa. Have driven through Florida a little the southern patch of uh, Alabama and then Mississippi cut up through Louisiana came across Texas in the last day Texas of course is enormous so you can drive for quite some time in Texas yesterday went to a baseball game in Arlington Texas which is situated between Dallas and Fort Worth in the upper third of the state those are major metropolitan areas and so that was you know that was like uh, being in chicago for all of a for most of the day where you're just driving through um professional spaces and then lots and lots of neighborhoods and then big 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 buildings downtowns traffic all of that couple reflections I want to share and the major takeaway here is that voter suppression in this country um, is in its strongest forms in states that are rapidly diversifying uh, demographically so voter suppression uh, across the United States South um, and in states in the Midwest where it has exploded in the last couple decades is has exploded because of the diversifying population the threat there to white voters and to the economics that have defined this country um, and the power structures that have defined this country those threats are manifest to people in those areas and you can just you can just um, get you know you, you just you can't miss this as you're going through Texas um, so a couple reflections one my son and I went to a baseball game in the Arlington, the Texas Rangers, one of the, uh, the kind of uh, rivals of the Seattle Mariners. And uh, this is the only, uh, let me say it this way, every baseball stadium in the country is subject to the state-based rules for COVID-19 uh, behaviors in those states. So every baseball team is in a state and those baseball teams have national major league baseball rules they have to follow but they also then follow the laws in their state around covid practices in texas the texas rangers are the only um team in this country that has taken advantage of a state-based rule which has uh, has ended all social distancing restrictions so there are no social distancing restrictions in um, the stadium at Texas Rangers. So on opening day, 10 days ago, they had a sold out stadium. That means everybody, every seat sold and people are sitting right next to each other, obviously, when that occurs. So we went to the game yesterday and these are the rules that are in place today uh, as, at the, as at this moment. There's no social distancing restrictions. Uh, we bought tickets and 
you know, we're hopeful that there would be spaces that it wouldn't be too crowded because it's a very early in the season game. The Texas Rangers aren't very good. So we were banking on it not being too crowded. But uh, turns out that where we were sitting did get quite a bit crowded. And we were not comfortable with that at all. Not one bit, my son and I. Um, so we left our area and moved to like, the farthest reaches of the park, the literal last couple rows in the fourth deck um, out in left field, which is still spectacular to sit there and to watch the game. Um, and there were lots of seats up there that were unused. So we just went up there and sat. Um, but it was very, very weird, uncomfortable. Um, a statement really about where I'm at in terms of that comfort zone. And also, of course, a strong statement by the Texas Rangers organization and the state of Texas about their belief that COVID is over or is on its way out. Now, everybody, there were still mask, mask um, restrictions in the stadium, uh, but they were very, very loosely enforced. Um, you know, some large chunk of people were not wearing masks properly. Um, or, you know, had them on, but like around their neck or just didn't have them. And, um, you know, obviously that's not okay to us, not a comfort zone we're comfortable with, um, but it's certainly present all across this state and the South. So, you know, the, 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 the coming back from COVID and the implications of public health and the politics of public health are, are really substantial. And I think that's gonna be a fault line um, that won't be forgotten by conservatives um, who take it as an act of resentment that they're forced to, to wear um, these masks. They don't have a commitment to the kind of common good that is important. You know, that's one of the things that I learned uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic was that you know, I might be feeling, and I wasn't, but I could be feeling fairly safe. Um, but it didn't really matter about me. What was important is that I acted in the interest of the public good and wore masks and did not, you know, run over and hug somebody or did respect and honor the social distancing protocols. That's not part of the, the ethos in these conservative and libertarian states. Um, now, how does that relate to voting? Well, of course, it, vote, it relates a great deal because the commitment to the common good and the belief that we're, we're all equal and all <coughs> have equal value in the society and democracy and that we ought to treat each other with the respect and the care that uh, that comes from a community, well, those aren't those aren't written into the the DNA of this kind of a of an environment, and they certainly run absolutely counter to the notion of voting for all. If you want everybody to vote, then you take as a as a as a premise the sense that we all deserve that. We're all equal. We all have a chance to contribute our voice, one person, one vote to the democracy that we live in. But that collective commitment is not there. 
And because it's not there, it's very easy to say some people should vote and some people should not vote. Or some people earn it more than others. So being here just, you know, makes that all starkly apparent. That sense of lack, lack of commitment to the public ethos and public good. A second reflection is uh, the, the, what you hear on the radio. So when you're driving across the country, um, uh, yes, across the country, yes, including across Texas, um, you have a lot of hours to, to, uh, to think, to reflect, to listen to music or to the radio if you so wish. Um, also to talk <laughs> with your son if you're me. Uh, and so I treasure that. Uh, but I also, uh, you know, want to hear what's on some of the radio. So I, I listen particularly to AM radio because that's where my, in, my two main interests lie. One, which is kind of politics and public opinion, and then two, sports. So that's where, I, that's where my interests lie. So I, I, I do a seek, or no, a search function through the AM radio, and it stops wherever there's a strong signal. So, I, you know, across Texas, there were a number of um, stations that came in. And uh, I, this was Sunday we were driving through, so it wasn't a quote-unquote a weekday or a normal kind of talk radio environment. Um, so I'm sure that there's a lot more that I did not hear because it was just yesterday uh, as opposed to a Tuesday, for example. Um, but the talk radio that I did hear, uh, there was quite a bit of discussion on there actually about voting, quite a bit uh, during the day. They were Because right now Texas is, is uh, the, the Republican legislature and the Republican governor are in the process of, of making it harder to vote in the state to remove drop-off ballot boxes, to probably cut back the window of early voting, to remove curbside drive-up voting, um, and to further oh, to uh, prohibit um, local voting uh, uh, elected officials from mailing out unsolicited absentee ballot applications. These are some of the main provisions that the Republican legislature is seeking to enact. All of those making it harder in a state in which it already is the uh, probably the hardest state in the country to register to vote. They don't have online registration. You can't register people to vote unless you are actually literally licensed in, in the county you're working in. Um, and you can't be from out of state to get that license. You have to, you have to be through a local uh, a, a Texas state resident. So this is already a disastrous state to register to vote in and to vote in. And the legislature is working, is working to make it harder. Well, on the, on the radio, they were talking about these things. And so I listened. What are their arguments? And their arguments are that we don't want outsiders interfering in our politics. Um, we don't want them register, registering people to vote. We don't want them providing money to support uh, elections and infrastructure. And we don't want um, people who are not the voter themselves uh, mailing out ballots to people. It's all about this kind of notion that outside people, whether that's nationally or simply not the voter themselves, is somehow um, bad, is out to uh, fraudulent the system. Uh, and, you know, it, I listen to it and my reactions to this are want to be knee-jerk 
um, just a, a, a dismissal. So you just kind of be in the place where like, well, this is stupid listening to this. This is crazy. They have no logic. But I listen to them and there's actually some arguments in there where I see the emotional uh, and individualist centering that they are that are present in their thinking. Um, this idea that anybody who's not the voter themselves um, is not to be trusted uh, and that the legislature is to be trusted. And of course, that legislature is Republican in the state and the governor is Republican and the U.S. senators in the state, Republican, and the majority of the House, House of Representatives delegation, Republican. Um, so this kind of like notion of like people will do bad things, especially if they're not the Texans we endorse and select, um, is straight out of the American conflict uh, playbook in which Southerners uh, don't want outsiders, I'm putting that word in quotes, uh, want out, don't want outsiders to come in and somehow try to uh, make it easier for people to vote, particularly those non-white people, those black and brown people who are coming either to America or are coming of age or are coming to the state from other states. This conflict between locals and the states on the one hand and these quote-unquote outside agitators is just like written into the fabric of this country in the debate over democracy, over a, a, demo, a just and inclusive democracy, over the fight for racial equality and justice. And it is going to be central to how voting rights legislation uh, gets enacted or not this year and for years to come. It is at the center of the arguments. We who fight for just and inclusive democracy do not believe that local officials and state officials will live out their commitments to just and inclusive democracy without federal mandates to do so. American history shows that they will not do that. That the white leaders in these states will not do that for the good of all without federal enforcement. The local officials say, you know, this is a this is a nation in which states are allowed to make their rules around voting, and you can trust us. In fact, uh, your lack of trust in us, they say, is offensive. It's aggressive. It's ethically wrong, and we won't stand for it, and we will fight it. This goes, you know, all the way back to the founding of this country. It's present in the South Carolina nullification crisis of the 1830s, where the South Carolina government wanted to nullify, which means not obey federal laws. Eventually, they were forced to do so. It's written into the, uh, the secession of the Civil War. It's written into the massive, massive opposition um, that was part of the, the backlash, the fight against civil rights in this country. And just last week, the South Carolina governor, um, Henry McMaster, said that the constitutional sovereignty, those were his words, of South Carolina would be obeyed and they would not submit to H.R. 1 if H.R. 1 is passed. 
Um, so we've got this crisis on our hands and it is written into the DNA of these Southern identities, these states. Um, what is the good news here is that these states are not the same states they were in 1965 or 1955 or 1860. They are much more racially diverse. They are much more highly educated. They are also much larger in terms of population. And the, uh, the fight here is not as, as unified in the state against the federal government. There is a range of opinion here and we are, we are going to work for that. Whatever the passage of these voter suppression bills are in, and make it harder in a Texas, in a North Carolina, in a Georgia, in an Arizona, we will fight for that. So that states' rights versus federal rights argument is just manifest in the state. And it's written into the language of the state here in Texas, all over the place. The don't mess with Texas, God bless Texas, don't forget the Alamo or remember the Alamo, the, the waving of the Texas state flag, which is just you know more present than I see any other state flag anywhere. Um, it's just written into the ethos of the state. It's in the talk radio, it's in the mask wearing, it's in the fight against, the fight to suppress votes that are present here and our fight against it. All right, the last thing quickly that I wanna mention about being here in Texas is that it's very, very racially diverse beyond ways that you just experience in Seattle. The percentage of the population that is black and brown or Asian American here in this state you know, is so much larger. It's on its way to being a majority minority population within just a decade or two. And it's so present in everything. And I love it. You know, it's present in the voices you hear. It's present in the, 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 the places of business, the, uh, the people you see at ba a baseball game, which is, you know, a certain economic stratus because you got to pay to go to these games, but at the same time is a sport that has ticket prices that are the lowest of all major sports. So you're able to get a sense of it for sure. It's present in the billboards that I see. It's present in the food options that are everywhere. And this is where demographically this country is going. And it is the demographic change that has elevated this fight over voting. There's no concern for everybody voting. If you're a white working class American, there's no concern that you have if everybody looks like you and subscribes to your quote unquote values, your version of the American values. But there is a massive conflict. If folks don't look like you, don't talk like you, don't necessarily uh, vote or have the same values, whether um, generally or religiously, who have a different understanding of the American identity, that's where the threat comes. And it is absolutely present. Driving through Tex through El Paso last night um, at about one in the morning to, to where we're stopped now, I drove to, through the town, you drive through it for about a good 20 minutes, it's so large. Um, and you're literally uh, you know, half a mile from the Mexico border in portions of the freeway. And you look to the, as you look to the south, there is just lights everywhere. As far as the eye can see, it is a, a large body of people living here. 
in El Paso and across the border in Mexico. They have some of the best cross-border, cross-racial relations in this state that we have in the country. I'm sorry, in this town that we have in the country. The, the kind of respect and mutuality and the full human understanding of each other and the economic working together of El Paso and the towns just across the border from El Paso. I, I treasure that. I, I am jealous of that. And I want to do all that I can and all that we can to make a better world possible. The just and inclusive democracy is our vehicle, our lane. It is the work that we do in order to make a better and more just and inclusive society, which is all about making a better and more just and inclusive world. So voter suppression is our work and it is the work that has to be done as part of the larger project. It's, uh, it's disconcerting to see all of this um, and it is also inspiring to see all of this. I know that as a white person, the ability to drive across the country, to stay in these places, uh, to feel only modest discomfort, as opposed to perhaps terror, um, is a privilege I have. As I go, I think it's essential to pay attention, for me to learn, to see, to take this with me, to share with you why we do this work. For a just and inclusive democracy, for a better America, Let's go, folks.